0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to drive results in the most tangible way possible, avoiding all of those hacky little tactics you can use and more focusing on the long-term so you can drive growth for your business. My guest today is the Chief Marketing Officer of G2 Crowd. You might have heard of this platform before. You know, it's the place where you search for reviews of your next B2B tech and software gadget. It's used by 1.5 million people every month. It's quite big. My guest today has previous positions in a lot of leading global marketing uh, positions like HubSpot, Salesforce, ExactTarget. I've just discovered a few seconds ago, that is my age, so his CV is much bigger than mine. He's been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Entrepreneur, Life Hacker. Prior to G2 Crowd, my guest has held a lot of leadership roles in a lot of companies you will know about, uh, including HubSpot, as I mentioned. He also helped to grow exact target and he served as a director, ahead of marketing at Salesforce. So I've seen you speak a few times, once, not a few times, recently, and he's a great public speaker. I'm very excited to have him on board. So
1: Ryan Bonici, welcome. Hey, thanks, Louis. Nice to be here. No pressure, gosh, after that introduction. I don't think you're actually talking about me, really, because I, I, I always feel unconfident and I always suffer from imposter syndrome, but I'm glad that the resume looks really good. The resume looks good, so let me make sure you look good now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll
0: make sure too that you look good. So we are at a stage where most of what I read around marketing is about hacky little things that you can do to drive your growth tomorrow, about those things that will die off in the next week or two. But you have a different philosophy that I share. So today we are going to try to go into this, into your mind and how to drive results using tactics that are not uh, sleazy in any way. So let's take a step back and I'm curious to hear from your perspective. You mentioned in the introduction, I mean, not in the introduction, but before that, uh, the two of us, you mentioned that you want to talk more about how to drive results without in a non-hacky way. And can you just describe what you mean
1: by that? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's the term growth hacking and, you know, conversion rate optimization, and there's just so many terms that are thrown around today. Um, and I find like most people that do those things actually think about growth and in, in too kind of like microscopic of a way. So, you know, if you're taking email subject line optimization or like click through rate of a landing page, all of those things are, are good. You should definitely be doing them, but they're not going to like make or break your business. Like, more importantly, they're not going to make your business, they're not going to drive crazy growth. And so I think I take a bit more of an approach whereby like you should be thinking about like things outside of the funnel or maybe at the top of your funnel. And like by increasing the volume there, like exponentially increasing the volume, I should say, then even if your conversion rates stay the same through the funnel, you're talking shit tons more outcomes of whatever you want. That might be leads, that might be MQLs, that might be sales opportunities, and then ultimately revenue. So I think I think about it just more holistically. Can you define MQL just briefly? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I think every business defines it differently. And that's okay. The definition that I've found to be the most useful, because at the end of the day, the MQL metric and definition is really to create like connection and SLA between sales and marketing. And so for me, the most useful way I think of it is like, it's literally someone putting their hand up saying, I want to speak to your sales team. That's how I define it. So like, I guess what you could call that in the most simplest way is like, there is explicit intent that there will be a sales conversation of some sort after this MQL event. Now, some people will then add a fit component. So if you think of like a a two by two matrix where you've got intent on one axis and fit on the other high intent. So raising their hand with high fit, they're the perfect target audience for you is great, obviously. Um, But I find too often companies just look at fit and then they kind of will factor things like, oh, they visited our blog and they read a random article about what we do and they're a good fit. So like, oh, MQL, send it across to sales. That's the worst thing to do in my mind, because at that point in time, like sales will start to get pissed off with your MQLs because like they don't want to speak to sales. So it's marketing's job in my mind not to hand them across until they're actively waving their hand. And so that was my long way of kind of, I guess, going into MQLs because I think it's like a pretty misunderstood component in marketing. Right so it, and it stands for marketing qualified leads, right
0: yeah <laughs> so I cut you in your in your explanation of long term growth using exponential basically way more people discovering about your company so that in turn some of them will end up buying from you, considering you right and it doesn't really matter at this stage whether your landing page converts very well or it doesn't really matter at this stage whether all of your blog posts lead to a good landing page at least to the sign up process. what matters the most is almost flooding the very top of the funnel with a lot more
1: people so you can drive the company, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think by doing that, you're, you're still going to get in front of the people that matter, the people that can buy right now, regardless of what it is that you sell. But when you go after the top of the funnel, you're opening yourself up to a lot more people that maybe can't buy right now, but will in the future. And so, a, that's important from like a brand perspective because you're getting your brand in front of so many more people. But it's also, it creates like, I guess, a flywheel effect whereby all of those additional people that now are reading your content online or trying your free tools or whatnot, they now are linking to you. They are sharing your content. They're doing things that are helping you now get better rankings for your Google SEO and things like that. So you can kind of leverage the power of the top of the funnel to create more of a flywheel so that everything is, is benefited from that.
0: So let's say you work for a company that doesn't have that in place. They are struggling to generate leads. Uh, They are not growing that fast and you are joining them as head of marketing, uh, to fix that problem. And you've decided that the best way to solve that problem is by what you described there. Mm I know it's kind of a role play. I know you probably need to define the industry if you want to, or whatever you need, but for the sake of it, and because listeners really want the practical steps to turn this Mm. idea that they all agree with into something they can actually tangibly take, uh, tomorrow in their business, what would be step number one for that? Like, and based on your experience and the way you've done it before, how would you do it starting from step number one?
1: Yeah, cool. So, look, I think there's. I think you made it. You kind of alluded to an important thing, and I think what I'm talking about is definitely the most. It's more of a long-term strategy. I think it's going to give you the best results, but it takes time to build. Um, and so, I would always like encourage people to do this strategy for sure. But I think I would couple it always with um, more of a demand gen focused team. That so you've got your content team thinking about content top of the funnel long term growth. And I always build a demand generation team or a funnel team or, you know, a sales marketing team that's basically working really closely with sales. And they may be doing things like ads. They may be doing things like events. They may be doing field marketing activities to help sales in the exact pipeline. So that kind of gets wins and growth for you quickly but then that allows you then to get some time to build this bigger thing. So I just wanted to like call that out because I think it would be wrong for someone not to do that and just to do the top of the funnel stuff and they'd probably get fired before they could actually get the results from the top of the funnel thing. But back to your point, I guess. So, you know, if they are starting straight up, I think firstly, this is really where most people go wrong is when they start creating content, they're creating content out of a lens of, oh, my CEO said that I should write a blog post about this thing, or the sales team asked for us to write a blog post about this thing. And those posts might be okay. But I think it's really important to understand what the post's purpose is, and how that will impact your funnel, right? So if your CEO is asking you to write it, it's probably going to be like an interesting piece, it's probably going to be a thought leadership style piece that might Define you and your unique views on something, but it's more likely than not not going to be something that drives traffic in the long term It might drive some social traffic spikes from when people share it, but uh, it won't do that much for you in the long run And similarly with the sales content that won't ever really help you build top of funnel traffic It might help you create content so sales reps can accelerate people that are actively in a deal with them If there's a longer sales cycle And that's okay, I just think it's really important that people understand that because most of the time they're creating content that they actually haven't thought through the strategy of and it's not data-driven. So the approach that I would always recommend people take is like an SEO-led approach. And when I say that, I don't mean like writing content to hack the Google algorithm and things like that. I, I literally mean like doing research and validating what are people out there in the market that I am trying to sell to what are they searching for? Really simple, you know, like, cause you could write about so many different topics and it's really important before you do that to actually do proper analysis and working out like what they're searching for. Um, And more often than not, you'll find that they're rarely ever searching for what you maybe do or sell. They're looking for things that relate to their day. um, And if you can connect them and pull them into your website on those things where they need help, then you can ideally convert them and then nurture them over time. So when they're ready to go, they can go. So you know to make this really practical for folks listening that are like, okay, that makes sense. Where do I start? Like I would use free tools like SEMrush or AHrefs to get, or even just literally Google AdWords to try and work out. Like put in some examples of content topics you're thinking of writing and see how many people a actually search for these things every month and in the locations that you want to attract. Um, and then how difficult are these terms going to be? And you want to choose a mixture of, you know, high volume to lower volume. And there's typically kind of like a negative, uh, sorry, a positive correlation with, um, you know, difficulty. So the more volume typically, the more difficult the term will be to rank for because other smart people have done this kind of research and have worked that out. So that would be where I would start. So to
0: summarize your thoughts, and thanks for going through it that quickly as well. The way you would actually drive this long-term growth is by using content and not only using content, but focusing on what people search for. And I like, I very much like what you said about SEO. I used to have this bad bad thinking about SEO, like this kind of, you know, this bad image of it a few years ago before I really started understanding what marketing was all about. And exactly as you said, SEO is not about hacking Google to make sure you appear on the first page of Google. SEO is really about understanding people, right? What they search. Uh, it's it's a window to
1: their brain, isn't it? Like they, they search well, actually, what they have in mind. You know what? Uh, so I, I, as you kind of said that, and now I'm thinking back more about what I said specifically, I think SEO actually isn't the right term really for it. Because if you create like content, let's say I like write a blog post about a topic that no one searches. I can, you know, have the right out text. I can have my H1s, my H2s and everything all set up perfectly. I can have the perfect number of words. Um, And it might rank in the first position for Google. So it's like the SEO tick crushing it, but if no one searches for it, what was the point? So I guess maybe what I should say is that like, this is actually less about SEO. This is really about kind of reverse engineering demand and validating what, like before you create anything, before you send an email, before you write a blog post, validating with the data that is available to you. And there's so much fucking data available to us today. Like what, people are searching for. Like, that's the most important thing, really, you know. Um, and I, I think, like, this concept of reverse engineering is, like, the one of the rarest skills that I see in marketers today, because, like, I interview, like, probably maybe, like, two to four people a day. I'm building out my team at G2 Crowd remotely. We've got a remote team around the world, so if there's anyone listening to this, it's an awesome marketer. Hit me up. Um, But like you can reverse engineer any role like people tell me like the moment they tell me that you can't like they're lying like if you are a PR person you can reverse engineer your funnel and work out how many emails did I send to journalists like to then how many like journalists replied to me to then how many journalists agreed to publish to then how many journalists actually published this is a mini funnel from like a PR person you can do that with social you can do that with email. Like, this is effectively what we are doing with blogging and content before we create the content.
0: So, before, let's say you join this company that is struggling, this, what we're discussing reverse engineering demand and identifying the topics that have high volume that are relevant to your business and writing for that, it's the first thing you would do, right? I
1: mean, look, it's probably not. It depends, like, what role. Like, if I'm going at a CMO level, then no, that's probably not the first thing that I would do. I would probably think more holistically about actually, like, personas within the market. Like, who is it that we're selling to? I would chat to people in the organization. Um, but if we're talking about, like, like the content strategy specifically to drive traffic, yes, this would be the first thing that I would be doing. So let's talk a bit more about what you just mentioned there.
0: Uh, we've talked about that in the podcast many times, but I want to see your approach to it. You said... Uh, I want to have an understanding of who I'm selling to. And you would talk to the team internally. What else would you do to make sure that you understand those people?
1: So, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's understanding like the demographic slash profile elements of the person. And that's where I think speaking internally to a team would be useful, right? Like AKA sales team, like who do we sell to, um, you know, is it like, what size of company are they at? Like are they in like a certain level or above that just helps me better understand a the person but then also I would then I better understand like how long is the sales process like because depending on those things the different activities that we will use will be different but then I think the content stuff the like the reverse engineering the validation that I talked about earlier that's kind of like now okay I understand who I'm like targeting now let me put myself like in the like shoes of that person or people and work out what they actually search about. Because like the percentage of time in their day where they're searching about like you specifically in your business is probably less than 0.1%. But they're doing shit tons of searches every day. We all are on our phones, on our computers, on our tablets. So it's like thinking into that mindset of who that person is and then working out like what they're searching for throughout the day that that's I think really the most useful thing to do and that's where I've had the most success I think in my career is by really thinking through that process and then then validating it with data
0: so let's say you join a business you start to have a deep understanding of the persona like who they are the demographic the profile as you mentioned but Mm -hmm. you're not too sure about their day-to-day the type of stuff they search how do you actually get into their head to translate knowing someone into
1: this is the type of stuff they, they search for Well, look, I think there's a few different ways, right? So firstly, I mean, if you're marketing to a persona that you know, or or is similar to you, so you know, I oftentimes have marketed to marketers in my career in, in many of my roles. So like, it's really easy for me to understand what marketers do in their day to day job, because you know, I have done that. But if I was marketing to a lawyer or a legal person, you know, AI would potentially chat to someone like that. But it's not that hard to sit down and think about like, okay, if I'm a, if I'm trying to attract, if I'm a, if a lawyer, sorry, and I'm trying to attract people to my business, let's say I'm a lawyer and I specialize in workplace harassment as an example, yeah? You know, I could create, the first kind of content I would probably create is like literally content around what is workplace harassment? And like, like seven things that are workplace harassment that you may not realize and those things. The reality is though that like, That's like the bottom of the funnel, really. Like people that know or are just trying to decide if they were harassed at work. The bigger audience is people that like actually have been maybe harassed at work and don't know it. So they may Google random things like, you know, what is okay in the workplace and like what, how to be a good manager, like what are the signs of a good manager, a bad manager, like topics that like probably have nothing to do with law. That's probably what they're searching for. And then once you like brainstorm those ideas, then you would use tools like I mentioned, A-Refs and SEMrush to then start to, to work out if that is true. So you, you then might put in like kind of like workplace as a keyword and look at everything that people search around that. And the majority of it probably has nothing to do with like the funnel that you're trying to attract, but you'll see a few little like gems of things that will come up there. You know, another example, I guess that I would say there is like, so that was a more specific one in relation to like the service that that company might be trying to sell. But I think too often we forget that, and you know, this is, everyone talks about this, like it's not B2B, it's like human to human and all that bullshit. (laughs) Like, which is is partly true, but I I think my biggest takeaway with that and my feelings about this is just that like, they're people, they do human things. So, you know, if you are a human, you can work out what they do, you know, maybe with 50% of their day, because they're humans like you. So like an example might be, you know, like if I'm regardless of whom I'm trying to attract, I know that they, they work each day, right? So, you know, if they work, they maybe have work stress, or Uh, They may have some days where they feel more or less motivated like I do, you know, they may be looking for jobs, they may like want to work out salaries of new jobs. Like these are all content topics that just me being a person living that has been in business knows that I have searched and everyone in business searches. So there's no reason why I can't attract them in on that content and be useful for them. I don't just have to pull them into my business on the one thing that I sell them. I think that's what we learned at HubSpot and what we did a good job at doing. So like having the mix between,
0: yeah, what you discussed. So let's summarize what you said so far, uh, because I think that's quite interesting. One, have a basic understanding of your persona, like who they are talk to your salespeople, talk to a few of them, have a basic understanding. Two, it seems like the second step you mentioned is basically. Writing down a few topics that springs to mind, right? So as you said, if I if I'm a lawyer uh and I specialize in workplace harassment, let's just write down a few topics, a few themes that come to mind, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's really just based on my own brain and what I, I'm thinking about. And then three, you started to mention tools like Ahref. We mentioned we, I mean, the day we are recording this episode, the episode with Tim Sulo from from Ahref is live, so that's quite interesting to hear from mm-hmm. from you on that as well. You mentioned using free tools or pay tools like Ahrefs and and other SEO tools to really understand whether what you think they're searching for and what they're actually searching for, where is the intersection. So uh, you also talked about difficulty and volume and the relationship between the two. So why don't we go through that a bit? Let's say you start into this business that is struggling. You have a list of topics that you think we should write about, how do you turn that into A prioritized list of
1: things, oh, shit, this is what we need to write about right now. Great question. So I actually would, I build a spreadsheet out firstly. So like I would use like SEMrush's API and I would connect Google Sheets up with SEMrush. And what I would do is, so like I would do all of my research in lists around different topics and then I would spit that all out into a Google Sheet and then I would start to build like a custom formula based on certain fields. So you know i might add I'm one of my own custom columns and that might be like i would call this like i would call it maybe fit so like how closely related is this topic to our business um you know one might be low two might be moderate three might be high and then i might choose another um like column that's like intent like okay so this is it's related to my business and then the intent column might also now be you know how much intent is this search key phrase or keyword in relation to buying our product or service and so i would then literally go down through all of those keywords that i found and add those metrics in and then i would basically create a calculation that's like i'm going to simplify it just for talking now but it's way more complicated than this but it might be like okay there's a thousand searches for this keyword it is sorry let's say a million searches for this keyword it's low fit, so it's get it gets a one out of three. But it is yeah, and it's low intent to sell. So that might then take that one million monthly searches for that keyword and actually spit out a number of a hundred thousand. So there's like you know yeah, you can get a lot of high traffic, but maybe a hundred thousand of it's actually going to be like the right fit for you. And then you might like say another keyword might be only I don't know, let's say two hundred thousand monthly searches, but it might be like moderate. Fit, and it might be moderate intense, so half and half. So like that would cut the 200,000 down just to 100,000. So now these two keywords are both on par, I guess. And so I would do that for all of them. And again, I've just simplified it to those two things, but the way I would do this is factoring in difficulty as well, um, and I factor in difficulty over a timescale. So depending on how difficult the keyword is, I project like when traffic will come from that keyword. So if it's really high difficulty, the traffic might not come for 12 months. And I would build that all in. and that would then help me then I would like filter my list from like top to bottom on my calculated row, or sorry, my calculated column to net then have a calculated traffic kind of score per keyword. So that would be like one of those ways that I would do that. Um, and I did that. And it was interesting, actually, like I did that at HubSpot about maybe two and a half, three years ago, because what was happening was and this is just like I know we might we might chat about career growth later on. Or we might not get around to that. But I'm like a big believer in that. like the core responsibilities of your job are typically like the most boring parts of your job. So if you're a demand gen marketer driving MQLs is probably boring work, but you have to do it. Otherwise you get fired through an email marketer. You have to send emails, but that's probably the boring part of your job. Like you really need to work out how to tick the boxes, of your job and hit your goals in the most sustainable and reliable way to free up time so that you can then experiment and try new things. So if you're an email marketer, you should be playing with chatbots, you know, if you're, et cetera. And so anywho, so I would like free up that kind of time to be working on these new things. But when I was at HubSpot, so I was hitting my goals, And I noticed that like globally, our our leads were kind of starting to flatline, you know, they weren't growing at the rate that they were previously. Um, And so basically what I did was kind of what I just explained to you. But instead of like doing it proactively based on keywords, I actually exported a list of every single like web page that we had live on the internet. So HubSpot.com, every single page, like there were hundreds of thousands of them. And I basically like so exported it from GA into Google Sheets, imported it into there. And then what I did was I went through all of like the, the content pages that were driving traffic. And I tagged them with like topics. So you know, if, if there was a blog post about marketing, I would tag it marketing. If it was about email marketing, I would tag it email email marketing. If it was about social media, I would tag it social media. Um, and then what I did was I then basically pulled the organic traffic for all of those pages. And was able to combine them at like a topic level. So I did like a, I created a new tab. P- and P.S. If what I'm saying doesn't make sense, <laughs> Louis, like let me know, um, and I'll explain it because I might miss something. But I would then basically like in a new like tab do like a lookup or a count if or a sum if or an average if. Um, I think in this situation it would be like a, a count, a, yeah, a count if or total if or sum if, sorry. Um, and I would basically say okay, like for every single blog post under the tag email marketing what are the total number of organic visits last month? Um, And then I would obviously that would auto pull for all of those topics. So like email marketing, social media, um, et cetera. Um, And once I then have that, I then exported all of the data from our CRM based on first touch conversion. So yeah, based on first touch organic conversion. So I was then looking at like, okay, all of the leads that came into our CRM, whereby they came from all of those URLs how many of each of those pages drove organic leads in the last month. Um, so now I see at, at a topic level, okay, the email marketing topic drove for us across all of our pages around the topic email marketing, maybe let's say 100,000 like organic visitors, which then maybe let's just guess like drove 10,000 organic leads. So I can see, right, like that's a 10% conversion rate from visitor to lead. Um, and I would do that for all my topics. And so what I started to find was that yeah, the topics that, um, that were really closely aligned to HubSpot, like, you know, marketing automation, um, email marketing, social media, topics that HubSpot, like, sold products for, naturally, we had created more content around these topics. But what was happening is we were, like, reaching a ceiling. You know, we, were, we ranked in the first position for all of those key terms. So, like, creating more content around maybe the term email marketing was pointless because, like, we already rank in the first position. If as long as we keep that content updated and evergreen, you know, we'll do okay. And so that kind of helped me start to then identify what are some topics that there's like a really high keyword volume, but we're only capturing maybe 1% of the total traffic on that keyword. Um, And then I started to work out like, cool, there's heaps of topics that aren't as related to our business. And they convert at a lower rate from lead to opportunity, from opportunity to sales business. But there's so much more volume that I can drive shit tons more revenue, and so it took me a couple months to do all that analysis and connect up like the Google Analytics data with like our CRM data and like look at it and looker, and I needed heaps of help from people on the team. Um, but I published it internally as like this internal research piece, which then helped our content teams and all of these other teams reevaluate how we were choosing content. Um, and one of the findings from that was the fact that email signature um, was a topic that there was crazy high volume in, um, but there wasn't. A, we hadn't created any content around it other than maybe one blog post around like cool email templates like for your email inbox. And it was a pretty cool blog post, they got good traffic, but there was so many more searches. And so I worked with our team in the Sydney office to create HubSpot's email signature generator. So we worked with a developer in Sydney, it cost us $6,000. If you search today right now, email signature, email signature generator, HubSpot's email signature generator is the first thing that comes up. Um, And over the course of a few years, that one page on our site became like the sixth most trafficked page to the entire HubSpot.com site organically because there are so many people searching for email signature generators and that perfectly fit the person that we were trying to sell to, right? People in business, like you don't create an email signature if you're a student or like if you're unemployed, you create it if you're in business and so perfectly what's nice about that as well is that like everything that goes into an email signature is the things that go into your lead form so we had created this tool that converted at like an 80 percent conversion rate from like traffic to lead which is like unheard of um And it was driving something like 70,000 visitors a month. So you can work out from like that conversion rate, it was driving more than like 50,000 leads a month, net new leads. And so that was like something that came out of all of that research. And I've written about that on the G2 Crowd blog earlier this year. And I like have all the screenshots and all of the workings and, and templates that I use for Google Sheets to how to like come to email signature generator as that. So if anyone that's listening to this wants to see that, um, you know, if you search like world's most effective B2B marketing campaign, I think it will come up. But also like um, I'm sure Louis can like add a link afterwards. But like that's like maybe a good example of how all of that work then informed actual outputs that then changed the content and the free tools that we created. And since then, you know, we created an out of office message generator at, at HubSpot, which I created that when I was in Sydney and never got around to publishing it before I left. And the team, I think about a year later after I left, finished it. But, you know, if you Google, if you try do a keyword research of like out of office message or like holiday autoresponder, there's hundreds of thousands of people. They're all people that are in business and they're searching for like a standard little like professional template to put into their like vacation responder. And now's the perfect time, right, with the holidays coming up. So that would drive, again, tens of thousands of leads for HubSpot every month organically. And when I pitched that first idea, the email signature generator to my boss, our CMO at the time, um, Kip, who I love, he's one of like the best marketers that I've ever worked with. I fucking love him. He's amazing. But he thought it was a stupid idea because it had nothing to do with marketing automation or email marketing. And luckily, I was a little bit um, of a shithead. And I just said to him, well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it. Like, it's my budget. And I did it and it worked. But, you know, I think there's topics that just people wouldn't ever realize that would be good for your business that you can create shit tons of growth and impact for, but you really need to be able to back it up with data. Sorry, I realized I just talked for a really long time then. (laughs) No,
0: it's really interesting, which is why I didn't stop you because usually I do stop guests, but you went into a great (laughs) level of details for everyone. So let me summarize what you said. First, you talked about turning those ideas you had about keywords into a spreadsheet that you can use and start wondering whether there's demand for it. So the volume, whether that there's a fit with your business, whether that's something that relates to you, whether there is an intent to buy from it. So when someone search for customer experience software versus mm. someone searching for how to improve customer experience, the second one has 100%. less intent to buy than the first one. Um, and then you basically have your own formula to to prioritize those. You have a a sort of a way to know, Okay, because it's a high volume, therefore it might be super difficult as well to rank for. And because it's not super relevant to us, then it's only like 10% of this volume that Mm. we can capture and hope to turn. However, if it's a lower keyword in terms of volume, but it's very relevant to you, so for example, anything that is like Hotjar review to go to G2 Crowd, so that's, boom, that's big intent for G2 Mm. Crowd. that wouldn't have necessarily high volume, but more people are, are likely to, 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 to find it helpful in g 2 so You might
1: then build into your formula that like if there's high intent um, and it's a high fit thing. Now, instead of just assuming it's 100, like sorry, maybe there's like only, you know, a, t- a thousand people that search that a month because that's a very bottom of funnel search term. But like you might then assume that like you might factor into the algorithm so that like actually the number that shows is 10 is 10,000 instead of a thousand, because you want that key term to be more prioritized in your list. Yes. Um, yeah. So this score doesn't
0: necessarily mean the amount of people I might actually see this or convert. It's more like a priority score that you used to say, mm. this is the top one. It's a priority we yeah. must write for it first, right? Yeah. So that's totally that's the first thing you mentioned, which is super interesting. I, I've done the similar exercise and it's eye-opening, as you mentioned. You wouldn't believe the amount of terms you think people search for that actually don't. Mm. And then on the other totally. way, the other, the other way around. So the second thing you mentioned is super interesting, but I think that fits more into companies that already have shit ton of content to play with, which mm. for most uh, is usually not the case, or else it's just a goldmine that you can just optimise. Uh, but it's, it's worth mentioning. And this is what you talked Mm -hmm. about when I see you speak in Dublin a few months ago. So you turn things into topics. Uh, you basically identify each blog post, link that to a topic, and then try to understand at a glance, are we maxing out this topic? And that's quite interesting concept because there's only a certain amount of people searching for those terms every day, right? And so if you're in the lucky position of HubSpot, where basically every single article you write about anything ranks at number one, then you you hit a plateau pretty quickly, to use a French word. Mm -hmm. So you use a plateau pretty quickly, and then you're like, fuck, we're not going to grow if we keep writing over those. And so this is when this idea of, of topics that are very, very top of the funnel to generate shit tons of new traffic came to be. And this is a very, very successful marketing campaign that you run. So you said... $6,000 $6,000 marketing budget and generated $64 million worth of business. Mm. That's pretty, pretty good.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So to go back to listeners who might think I'm not a HubSpot. I'm not G2 Crowd. I don't have a big mm. team. It seems like the first thing you mentioned prioritizing things based on volume, difficulty, the fit intent to buy, mm. it seems like it's the best first step for people, right?
1: Yeah, totally. And I think like part of maybe if you were someone that was just starting fresh out, like what you would do is you would do exactly what I said, but you would maybe set a difficulty filter of like um, max 20 difficulty out of 100. Yeah. And you would only tackle like only those topics that are under level 20. Um, And once you start to get those ranking for all of those key topics, then you'd expand your filter to like be zero to 30 and then you'd add in the additional topics and then you might go zero to 40. And like what that's going to do is it allow you to a get like traffic from those longer tail, lower difficulty keywords quicker, which then in turn will build like traffic to your site and then links to your site organically. And then obviously you can get your own outbound community outreach to see like where like people could add links to your content to be helpful. And that'll help you slowly build your domain score over time to then start being able to go after more and more difficult terms, like the parent term. So social media might be the parent term, right? Going to be super difficult to rank for. Only a HubSpot or, like, would be able to rank for that or a Sprout Social. But like, any company might be able to rank for like, like best types of social media examples. Again, I'm just making that up. And that might be low difficulty. So that's where you start.
0: I'm glad you mentioned difficulty because that's something we talked about with Team Sulo from from Ahrefs as well. So usually companies like Moz or like SEO software, like Moz, Ahrefs and SEMrush use a a score from zero to 100 to talk about difficulty. And usually what they use as their main metric is the number of backlinks required to be on the first page of Google for this exact term. And so Mm -hmm. backlink is still very much that search engines look at to make sure that the mm. piece is popular, that it's good, people linking to it, therefore it must be good. And so a in HREF, a difficulty of 50 over 100, you might require around 50 backlinks, but then it's exponential after that. So a difficulty of 80 might require you 250 mm. or 300 backlinks. And a backlink is very difficult to get, as you know, unless you have a massive following, a massive community. So that makes sense for you to focus on longer tail keywords that have lower Mm. difficulty so that you can start building your your domain, building your content.
1: Yeah. And I think like that will just allow you to start to get traffic early on and then you'll start to then get a percent, you'll start to generate some links from that traffic, right? It might not be much. It might be like one a month or something like that, but if you're not getting any traffic, then there's no way to, to generate organic links in the first place. So that's like a nice way to help. Um, But I think look at the end of the day, right, like and it's impossible for everyone to be able to do this. But I think like when you're creating content, when what I do with my team, you know, I have a team of 10 writers here at at G2 Crowd. Um, You know, we kind of take, I guess, what you what some people call the um, the skyscraper technique or like the 10x technique or whatnot, whereby like we will research what do like all of the blog posts for the keyword that rank on maybe the first two pages have in them. And our blog post on that same topic that we want to rank for that keyword will have all of those things that they wrote and more so like it's like all encompassing of that topic, Um, which, again, obviously takes way more time to write. Um, But then if you can embed, you know, good YouTube videos that are relevant, if you can create your own custom graphics with like out text that relates to the keyword that you're searching for, if you can do all those things it's going to be so much easier for you to get links and get traffic because it's not just about like what the stuff is happening site, Like it's also about what's happening on page as well. Right. When someone comes to your blog post and they spend 10 times longer reading your article than anyone else on that page, like Google sees that right through your Google analytics tracking and they see if someone clicks back and comes back to the search result to find something else because they didn't find what they were looking for and Google's always learning. Right. And so, I think my team takes a pretty proactive approach to like regularly going back and when we rank for a a key term like that, we're always updating our old content to see, hey, if there's like a new competitor that now ranks on the first page for a key term that's really important to us, if there's some elements in their blog post that we didn't have in our original post, we will re-add those additional things to our page with original writing so that our post is now all encompassing again and again and again.
0: So as an advice don't try to go against g2 crowd because they're just gonna outrank okay, <laughs> you um i don't know who knows <laughs> 10 writers is a dream though that's nice to have a team of 10 uh, to work uh, and to write this topic but thanks for going through all of that i guess i will definitely gonna add to the show notes the article you mentioned where you talk about templates and stuff i suspect uh, if you're listening to this podcast you'd like to see those spreadsheets because i saw them uh, and that gave me kind of this visual representation. Mm. It's easier for me than for you to, to to tell me about them and re-explain. But for someone completely new to that, that would be my di- yeah. that would be more, more difficult. So if you don't have money, I don't like to spend to speak too much about tools because they change and they, you know, they die and others appear. Mm. But if you don't have a lot of money to invest in a tool like Href, what tools would you recommend people to use for for this exercise? Look,
1: I, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can literally just use Google AdWords, right? And it's going to be a bit of a pain to get all the data out, but you can get it out like if you want to go completely free. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think like it's worth the investment. Ahrefs like for one user and even SCM Rush, like I think we're talking less than 50 bucks a month, like they're not expensive tools. Um, and it could be maybe a little bit more than that, but I don't think it's more than a hundred a month, like, which, you know, isn't that bad. If you are only going to do this once, like just pay for a monthly subscription and then quit after a month, like, like this isn't much money. So like the most important thing with any of this is like just regardless of the tool you use, like to use one tool, right? Because they all have different difficulty ratings based on their own algorithms and, dif- and different scores. And so that will help you kind of keep consistency in your spreadsheet. Um, Like, there's a really nice metric that Ahrefs have that SEMrush doesn't have, which I love. And it's basically, I think it's called, it's like click rate, I think it is. Um, Or the number of, so like, there's like your search volume, but then it's like how likely people are to actually click through, right? And so, you know, a keyword, like a definition, so like CRM definition might have a lot of volume, but it might have a 0.2 click through rate, because like, once this, like, So if zero, the snippet pops up and the person sees CRM stands for customer relationship management, blah, 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 they're done. Like 80% of the people that do that, like don't need any more. So I love that metric when I'm doing these spreadsheets because I think like I will then use that alongside the search volume. So if there's a million monthly searches and there's like a 1.5 click rate, then that readjusts my calculation to 1.5 million monthly visitors potential, you know. Um, or if there's less of that, I I factor that in, but so yeah, they're the tools I would use. Again, I said that they're cheap, but you can use AdWords, um, as well. Um, and I would just say like, you can check G2 crowd and you can search by free SEO tools as well. So if you search free SEO tools, G2 crowd, you'll definitely come across a blog post or a grid by us. And again, like none of that's based on our opinion. It's based on reviews from people that have used them. So it's, you can trust it. Thanks, Ryan, for going
0: through this exercise with me. Uh, I have a few questions left before I, I let you go that I always ask my guests. Uh, the first one being, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next five years, 20 years, 50 years?
1: Oh, that's such a tough question. <laughs> Look, I think I, I'm going to go a little bit different from like all of the technical stuff that we've been talking about. And I would say that like one of the skills that I think is becoming more and more important is actually the understanding of brand. Um, because I think like there's been such an over indexation for people doing technical marketing, like what we've been talking about and growth focused marketing. And and I, and I think that's still the most important type of marketing by all means, but I think there's more and more of a deficit now in marketers where they don't understand branding and how important that is. And so I would say like looking to like what consumer brands do in the branding space, like is a good place to start because B2C companies typically have much bigger branding budgets, which, again, you need to keep in mind because you might not have that kind of a budget in the B2B world. Um, But I think B2B marketers need to take a few pages out of B2C marketers' books, especially when it comes to branding. So that would be, I think, the one area I would say people should learn. Again, assuming that they already value technical marketing and growth marketing because they're listening to this podcast.
0: (laughs) They bloody do. I'm telling you, um, so maybe, maybe as part of the next question, maybe you can answer, uh, when people wonder that's all well and good, but how, where do I learn about brands? Do you have anyone that you should recommend about it? So what are the top three resources you recommend listeners today? It could be anything, podcasts, books, conferences, anything
1: you know so i get asked that just about like all marketing topics career topics anything and i I really think like the best place to look for isn't to necessarily blog blog posts can be useful for really technical things where like you know we're talking about spreadsheets you need to visually see mathematical stuff but uh, for most stuff like branding or anything like i think you literally need to like be a consumer and go out there and look at like Who do you see ads for everywhere and what ads capture your attention? Similarly, like if you want to grow your career, don't read a Google post. Don't Google how to like improve your career. Like go to LinkedIn and look at like who has had a really fucking fast growth career and work out what they did. Like reverse engineer their growth trajectory, right? I do that all the time. I will like find someone that I admire and I'll literally read everything that they've ever written and I'll look at like the moves that they made between companies and that helps me better understand them and how they grew and, and then I'll reach out to them as well obviously and try and organize a call and that gets easier and easier as you obviously get more and more senior in a company or work for a public company but I really believe that like there's like a pretty finite limit of what you can read about and I think the best way to learn is from either doing it yourself and trying or by like surrounding yourself by people that are doing it and watching what they are doing right like that's the easiest way in my mind like to to be to be the best at something if you read blog posts like you can be best practice for sure but like everyone's reading the best practice blog posts so like best practice in my mind is just like idiot like the idiot stuff really like if you're not doing it you are an idiot and so you should be doing it but like you shouldn't be relying on those posts to learn about new strategies because no one's writing about those new strategies until a few years later so you're always behind
0: great answer i think this is the first time i'm hearing someone mention watching other people's career projection and reverse engineer that so you can ask them and all that's really good tip so thanks for, for sharing that well thanks ryan once again for for your time thanks for going through all of this practical stuff thanks for sharing your wisdom where can mm. listeners connect with you and learn more from you
1: Yeah. I mean, if they search as my name, Ryan Benici, last name's B-O-N-N-I-C-I. I -I, I think that's my handle on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all of of the social media channels. So if they follow me um, and if they reach out, I'll do my best to get back to them. Awesome. Once again, thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks again, Louis.
0: Uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.